Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to Godsplaining. I am Father Gregory Pine, and this is Godsplaining. But you already knew that because that's how I began the episode. Uh, I'm here with Father Bonaventure Chapman. Father Bonaventure, given the I'm fact here. that this this episode will appear live some, probably sometime in January, um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, it's been after the Christmas rush. Um, it's a beautiful time. I assume I'm still alive. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's one of my favorites. I mean, fall into winter, I think, is beautiful. And then January, that's a tough one. And February, thank the Lord that they made that calendar the shortest month of the year. Um, cause that's February is just the toughest. I, maybe there are people like February. I mean, Valentine's day is in there, but obviously that has a different meaning for us and religious orders. Um, mm. there's less sharing of cards and gifts. Um, mm. so yeah, I'm looking forward to, so I'm looking forward to February being a short month. Um, and I'm happy that, uh, December was so fruitful. <laughs> Those are, there's some excellent meditations on time travel inspired by the viewing of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And extended meditation on what St. Thomas has to say about future contingents and God's knowledge thereof. Um, mm. As for myself, as for me and my house. What's that? The Peter Damien principle that everything's physically present to God in time. So we can uh -huh. talk about like Eucharist and Mysterian Gegenwart and Odo Cassell and all that, but we won't. No, we're not. Because today uh, we're going to talk about wounds. Uh, the question might be, well, why talk about wounds? That's an excellent question. Invisible tacit auditor, um, because it helps me to set up this here introduction, which was the exact point of having posed such a rhetorical question. Uh, I think that if you've been to a Catholic conference of some sort, or any Catholic programming, truth be told, you've probably come across a witness talk or a testimony of some sort, the point of which is typically to inspire you to love the Lord more, and the way that that is done is by showing how the Lord has changed the speaker's life. But um, in narrating it, usually the speaker goes through a past of sin, or of neglect, or of indifference of some sort, and then a period of healing, and then like a period of ongoing conversion. Um, but in the period of sin and subsequent healing, oftentimes in these stories, in the recounting of these stories, there's a big stress placed on wounds. So it seems as if you have a kind of street cred, uh, or that your testimony or witness has a kind of sincerity or genuineness, provided that it goes from having been wounded to having been healed, and the wounds are often, the, one, the wounds that are described are sometimes pretty harrowing, sometimes pretty terrible. Um, so I think about this because it's part of our patois, lingua franca, it's part of the way in which we describe Christian things here in the 21st century. But I think it's also something that um, is more broadly discussed in the ambient culture. So, Father Bonaventure, what are your thoughts about wounds as we describe them in Christian circles, or wounds as they are described in secular circles? What hath the two in between? Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing was when you said patois, I thought of it like pâté, since it was French, and I uh, wonder mm. if that's what you're referring to. But wounds, uh, there is this sense of, I don't know, that. Uh, well, let's put it this way. It seems to me that Wounds have to do with imperfections. Wounds are damage, damage or wounds are something less than good. Um, they have relation sometimes to sin. I assume we'll get to that at some point. But uh, so it's an imperfection. And imperfections, I mean, you know, you want to cover up generally. You know, don't want to 
show people this sort of thing, right? You don't show people that, you know, if you have something wrong with your teeth, you get a new tooth or something, or you cover up when you're a kid, you have a zit or something, you cover that up. I don't know why I'm thinking of that. But you generally don't want imperfections to be seen by people, right? But it's, it's strange that in recent times, wounds and these imperfections are things that are, like, proclaimed. Um, and there's a goodness to this in the sense that we're more open to people being vulnerable. There's another catchphrase here, I suppose. I suppose if in the 80s, authenticity was the catchphrase, I think vulnerable is kind of seems like a, a catchphrase of the current Weltanschauung. Um, and there's this the sense that woundedness is something you should, like, proclaim in a way. And that means that you have to... Sometimes you have to, like, dredge up wounds. I mean, I remember not just Catholic circles, but evangelical circles. Like, you have this conversion story, and, you know, you've just followed this guy who's told the story about coming from drugs and alcohol and this sort of thing, finding Christ in the gutter and what have you. And then you feel like you have to find, like, how, what did Christ save me from? Like, sin isn't enough. It has to be from, like, deep woundedness. And that's both secular in the sense of admitting weaknesses, another word for this, I suppose, in these kind of, this ambit. Um, but also in this, yeah, in this religious frame, we kind of take it over. And it is important to think for just a second whether we're doing this correctly or how helpful it is or whether we've gone maybe too far in one direction um, or, or what have you. So a little bit of a dialectic here that needs a, a synthesizing moment, you could say. Yeah. We, um, it's interesting. We just recorded an episode uh, about Marvel movies, and we were talking a little bit about heroism. And I think that there's a, a pretty deep-seated desire in the hearts of all human beings to be a hero of a certain sort, not necessarily to be known or seen for heroic feats, but at the very least to do great things that are worthy of great honors. Um, but it seems like in the contemporary culture that, that many people have despaired of being a hero in a traditional sense because it has some unsavory connotations, like heroes end up saving people who aren't asking to be saved, and when they perform their act of salvation, they often do so in a way that doesn't respect the native integrity of the thing that they're trying to save. And, you know, like there are a lot of Marxist critiques about, a lot of critical theories about, which um, would challenge a lot of these traditional notions of how one goes about saving and being saved. And I think in the wake of that, you have a lot of people who, rather than claiming to be a hero, claim to be, you know, like broken, wounded, a victim of a certain sort as a way by which mm -hmm. to gain the upper hand. It's not just power politics, so it's not just like the Nietzschean critique all the way down. But there's a sense in which now there's a real cultural cachet to having been oppressed, to having been um, cast aside. And that's not to make light of the genuine suffering of those who have experienced those things in any way, shape or form. But it is to say now that, like, that's a kind of strength that has a kind of purchase. And so I think, at the very least, we need to be aware of that, that we don't, in, you know, in Christian conversation, end up just, like you said, kind of glorifying woundedness for woundedness' sake. Because as we're going to talk about, you know, wounds are related to sin, and sin is what Christ came to save us from. And in saving us from, us, from it, he brings us into a new life of a different sort. Um, so what do you think? It's just Nietzsche and Schopenhauer, or is it something else, or what's at stake here? Well, I'd like to say the puppets are back. Um, so, oh my gosh. Uh, and you can actually see them in, in glorious uh, detail now. <laughs> see, will it focus on him? It will. Look at that, it's beautiful. So that's, that's Friedrich Nietzsche's puppet. Um, and I think that, yeah, we don't want to be entirely in favor of Friedrich Nietzsche, although I suppose we should do an episode of God's Plain Catholicism and Nihilism or something, or Nietzschean Catholicism, and see what we make of it. 
Um, that's that's later. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but there is a sense. So Nietzsche's critique, of course, that that uh, Christianity revalued things and it made weakness into a power, whereas before weakness was just weakness, right? Like a, you get this vision of a of a Greek hero, um, you know, Aeneas or or uh, I don't know anyone from the you know Agamemnon or something, just like sees a weak guy and just pu- pushes him over or something. And Nietzsche's sense of like, well, these a weak man actually said, now hold on a second, I'm better than you because I'm weak. Um, and morality is this like, I'm going to constrain you. And the sense of that weakness becomes a power, that you have this power over other people because you can say, well, yeah, you might be strong, kind of might, might makes right, but actually I'm the stronger one because I'm willing to deal with, I'm willing to embrace my weakness and to demand your respect on that as opposed to just demanding your force. So that's just a, a potted history of it. And I think there is something to the sense that we have this idea that admitting your weaknesses or admitting your wounds uh, gives you a power because all of a sudden it kind of blows people back a bit. They have to stop and they have to respect you and this sort of thing. And again, listen, we're not saying, you know, stiff upper lip kind of stuff. Um, that, But there is a sense to be aware that, well, at least it's a question whether whether we buy into the woundedness as an aspect of power, or whether woundedness is something that should be, like, healed. I mean, Henry Noyan has this kind of uh, wounded healer thing, and there is a sense that, like, you, you can only heal someone in a way that you kind of, it's helpful to be sympathetic. But at the same time, if you have cancer, if you have surgery or something, you don't, you, you go to a doctor who knows how to heal, not the doctor who's had cancer, and then, because that gives him special insight into this particularly. Um, so, Woundedness as imperfection and as has can have a power, but give power to things that sometimes we might not ought not want to do. Yeah. Okay. So maybe then just to frame the rest of the conversation, let's talk a little bit about sin and about mm. the wounds that it inflicts. So then we can talk about the nature of the salvation which Christ communicates, uh, which is addressed to us as wounded or addressed to us as fallen. I guess to use uh, alternate language. So, um, thinking then about sin, lots of definitions that are available on sin. One of my favorite go-tos is that of St. Augustine, any thought, word, or deed contrary to the eternal law. Do you have a favorite definition of sin? That's kind of a weird question to ask. No, I never thought about that. That's a, that's, Augustine's is pretty good. Uh, I tend to think of it as an imperfection of, of human nature. Um, okay. That's not entirely, you know, I guess it's not perfect. That's not and, well, I say a willful imperfection of human nature, maybe, because, like, you know, I can't see with all my glasses. Is that a sin? Well, who's my father's? I don't know. Um, but that's not just an imperfection. So maybe willful. It has to be a willful imperfection of, of things. But I like that, that aspect of that sins are, as Augustine talks about, like privations. They're, they're a lack of something. You know, evil is not a being in itself. It's a lack. And so sins are these deficiencies, right? Sins where they're not—it's not so much an activity— it's a deficiency riding on an activity, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, so in the description of original sin given by a Dominican author of the last century, he describes original sin as being left to ourselves. So, uh, you know, depending on which theologians you're reading, but uh, most theologians tend to agree that man and woman, our, our first parents, were created in a state of grace, and that with original sin, they lose that state of grace, and when they lose that state of grace, they lose a lot of things that were associated with it. So, like this kind of harmony that reigned in our nature, and then all of these sweet perk benefits like impassibility and, you know, immortality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's a sense in which we were made for great heights and we were endowed with great, with great gifts in light of those great heights. But then when we sinned, right, so when we transgressed, we lost not just in such a way as to kind of like go back to where we would have been had we not had grace. That is a confusing sentence. Um, but that mm. we, we retain this kind of nostalgia for a life that we have lost. So we're like ruined for life, as it were, because we have the memory of what it was to have been made unto God, to have had this, this image of God strengthened by the life of grace, only to see it, you know, kind of perish, as it were, by, by reason of our sinful choice. Um, so when we talk about sin, we're typically talking about, like you said, a privation, a lack of something that ought to be there. But in, 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 I don't know exactly how you describe it, like banishing the life of grace from the soul, you do a kind of violence to self. And mm-hmm. I think that that is in part where, you know, where we can begin to talk about wounds, or that's where wounds enter into the conversation. So maybe help us to mm-hmm. start to make the connection between sin and wounds. Where do you see those things uh, lining up or cashing out? Yeah, I think this is it, it, it's so important because I think we think of sin, at least in American context, in legal perspective, legal terms, as if like, it's a sin to do X in a sense that like it's, a, it, it's wrong to this family to do to eat with the fork always in your left hand or something. Like there's no objective, you could say, uh, damage to creation on which hand you use your fork per se. There could be, there's manners and customs and all this, but there's nothing like written into the fabric of the universe, I suspect, on whether you eat, use your fork in the right hand or left hand. Um, and I think we, we, and that's illegal, so it's a legal matter in a sense. Here's the rules. And we think of sin as, I think, sometimes as breaking rules, but it's, it's deeper than that. The wounds kind of language, this privation language, says it's actually sin in the act of it damages you. The traditional, it, it gives you wounds. It, like, changes who you are, not at the deepest level, you could say, but in significant ways, such that, I mean, Thomas talks about, and these are, I assume these are the traditional categories of the four wounds he talks about, so ignorance, malice, weakness, and concupiscence, that Sin gives us these things by taking away things, right? Either the direction or by redirecting us to something. So ignorance, like sin, clouds the mind because it affects what we focus on or something. Or concupiscence, it directs us to lower tendencies. And these are, these are you know, wounds not in the sense of just passive, but they're, they're wounds that have an effect as we go forward. Like, I act out of my wounds, so I act because of sin out of my ignorance sometimes, and out of my concupiscence, and all of that. And that's, that's the, so when we think of wounds, which is different than the secular term of this sort of thing, I think secular terms is more passive recipients of wounds, like I've been wounded by someone. But this is a deeper kind of, this includes that, people can commit sins, but also has your own kind of wound in what you've done to yourself, that kind of thing. All right, um, this is a good little tack, and we're going to pick it up at the end of our arbitrarily inserted commercial break. So stick with us, and we will talk to you in somewhere between 20 and 25 seconds. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. All right, welcome back to God's Planning. Uh, again, you got Father Gregory and Father Bonaventure here, and we're talking about wounds, uh, maybe inflicting them later, although we're like 5,000 miles apart, so the chances of us succeeding in doing that, at least to each other, is low. But dare to dream. 
Um, okay, so we're talking then about these wounds associated with original sin. And maybe just to follow up that thought, hmm. I'm thinking here about the way in which sometimes when you think that you know how to do a thing, but you don't in fact know how to do a thing, you end up breaking the thing. So let's say that you're of a super choleric you know, temperament, and when you get a box with parts and instructions, you throw the instructions away and just set about assembling the thing as you see, like you see fit. And sometimes, I've done this before, where I've like screwed a piece to another priest and I realize that it's the wrong piece and that the damage that has been done is like mm. un-undoable, which is pretty devastating. Um, but there, you have a kind of insight into the fact that sometimes when we go about things, we go about things kind of bull in a china shopily. That is an adverb, my friends. Mm. Um, and I think that bull this is... Bull china this shopily. Is, you like that? Yeah, okay. Moving, um, moving so bull is, china shop wise. I like that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like it's like making up words in German, except except different. Um, yeah. So ordinarily, I mean, I shouldn't say ordinarily, but in God's original design, we were able to like look at the different goods on offer in the world to evaluate them well, and then to interact with them in a way that was healthy, in a way that reflected our dignity, in a way that reflected their integrity, in a way that led to you know a good relationship with the Lord, with others, with self. Okay. But now those those kind of interior harmonies that used to make it easy for us to do such a thing are lost, and instead we have to painstakingly retrace our steps by growing in virtue. But in the meantime, sometimes we're just thrown off because we just set about it without any deliberation, or we just set about it in a, in a fit of fury, or we set about it inflamed by passion. And in, and in so doing, we break things and we break ourselves. So when we mm-hmm. talk about, like, you know, ignorance and malice and weakness and concupiscence, what we're saying is, these, these inclinations of the human mind and heart, which used to be harmonious, are now kind of chaotic. And when we just set about our lives without sufficient, you know, deliberation or counsel or whatever, um, then we end up doing great damage. So rather than saying, like, we're born broken or we are born bad, it's just like we're born kind of bent. And in being born bent, we end up making bent choices without even really recognizing it at times. And as a result of which, we can bend ourselves the more. Um, okay, we're going to move on here to talking about Christ, but give us a wrap-up thought on this, this evaluation of secular and Christian notions and then sin and its wounds. Yeah, it, it, I guess um, the thing with the secular notion with the concern or the, the idea of saying, hey, I'm wounded in this way, um, and this is just who I am, um, and now you, we should all embrace this sort of thing, appreciate, appreciate this, and and there's a goodness, and again, the sense of, of realizing that, yeah, no one's perfect, okay, um, uh, but I think it does lead to a kind of despair, uh, or, or say a, a dumbing down of this level. So we are, we start out kind of bent, we do bent choices, but we want to be better, right? In a sense, we, we don't want to be wounded, like we want to, we want to remove the wounds that we have uh, as best, as much as possible. Now, it's not always possible, of course, um, but with the secular notion of this kind of again proclamation of 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 woundedness or weakness or the more upfront about this there's also i think a tendency to to despair over doing anything about that we're just okay we're out in the open we're coming out in a sense and saying um hey you know it's okay to be wounded and i struggle with this and i struggle with this and i struggle with this and that's fine but you struggle with it because you you want to be better about it so i think the good turn is to say okay wounded yes yes uh but Let's not despair over the possibility that actually wounds can be healed, and not just like in a far-off distant world, in a galaxy long, long time away, but actually here and now, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. 
Well, the reason I think for which we have some kind of confidence that, that wound speech or wound discourse enters into uh, the picture of salvation or enters into the reality of salvation is because Christ rises from the dead bearing his wounds. So there's something about wounds mm -hmm. that's significant for us as Christians. So we can't just say like, okay, secular world is all crazy about wounds, probably not supposed to tend in that direction because we're of a different mindset, so let's just cease to speak of it, at least in polite company, and just move on in our little perfectionistic way. Um, no, there's something about the fact of our being wounded, and, and persistently so, or constantly so in a certain sense, that, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that needs to be recovered. So, yeah, what's significant about the Lord's wounds? Just thinking about it in terms of how we're confronted by the mystery itself of the Lord's life and how it's recounted in Scripture. What are the, what are, like, if you're doing Lexio Divina on this passage, what are, the, what are some of the first points that kind of strike you or that leap off the page? Yeah, that um, the first, first, when you think of the Lord's life, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is how directed it is to suffering and, and being wounded by others. Um, and that you could, in a sense, I guess, read the whole Gospels as as Christ coming down and getting getting wounded by people, um, because in general he doesn't he's not well received, you could say. Uh, but as, that passage of the resurrection, when he comes in and he shows his this is in John's Gospel, I suppose he shows the wounds and has Th Thomas put his his fingers in his hands and on, in his side. It is a startling, you just not expected. I think we're so used to this kind of stuff, we're so downstream of it that it's like, well, of course, I mean, he was crucified, of course. But there's nothing, of course, about the fact that if you were crucified and then rose from, risen from the dead, well, that anything would be true, right? It's not like, well, of course he came back as a human, not as a squid. I don't know. Who else do you know that's resurrected, right? I mean, logically possible? Who knows? But, like, the woundedness is clearly not, like, well, of course, when he came back, he would still have wounds. Well, why is that, you know? Like, that, it's profound to me what, what, what to do with that. We're just so used to it, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing. But he must have them for a reason, then. And what? who is it for? It's not for him, right? It can't be. He's got to remind himself like a sort of merchandise. Then he went to Disney World and stopped at the shop and got a little, you know, I keep, I keep the wounds as a remembrance of this event, right? He's not forgetting things. Um, so it must be for us. And not just for Doubting Thomas, but like us in general. And I think the stigmata to the saints like Francis of Assisi and... Um, random priest in Virginia, has the same kind, of, same kind of effect. So the wounds are startling to me. They're a great point of meditation, for sure. Yeah. And, and it seems like the wounds are deliberate, right? They're not an accident. So the Lord adopts everything proper to our human condition that's, that's conducive to salvation. So the Lord adapts, excuse me, adopts a, a human intellect and a human will, human passions, human body, but then he goes kind of beyond that, as it were, and adopts even the defects associated with our human condition. So he hungers and he thirsts and he's capable of suffering and he's capable of dying. Mind you, he doesn't adopt certain imperfections that would get in the way of his campaign of salvation. So like ignorance or sin, those he does not adopt. But he does permit himself to be wounded. And when St. Thomas asks, like, why did the Lord come as he came? He says it's for our salvation because it conduces to our salvation. Um, if he weren't to have been capable of suffering, we might not have thought him to have a real human nature and something of our solidarity with him would have been compromised. It's like, yeah, like, he's kind of throwing in his lot with us, but truth be told, he's just kind of skating through human life in a way that has really nothing to do with, with how we kind of drudge through it. Um, so there's a sense here of Christ really, really taking up our human lot to the point of suffering and dying. So it shows this, you know, this kind of point of solidarity. So if he is extending to us this offer of solidarity, that means that our 
capable of being woundedness, to use a weird substantive noun. Um, like our capacity to be wounded has a part, uh, or it has some kind of hold in the dispensation of salvation which Christ communicates. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about that. Um, what yeah. is it? How, how does how do his wounds communicate with our wounds, or what do you think that connection is? Yeah. How do we suss that out? No, that's a good point. I think um, I think about woundedness, the approachability. Um, I think because of our fallen condition, right? It's not it, this wouldn't be the case um, if if we weren't fallen. But because we're fallen, uh, I think Christ does things that he wouldn't otherwise do, like come. But even the ways he comes and what he does, and woundedness, it seems like to to sinful creatures who are wounded but are afraid to admit it, or like even if they're admitted some ways, they don't admit other real deep ways. We could talk about like superficially admitting it, but really actually embracing kind of an understanding that you you are wounded, you've you've done things to yourself and others. Um seeing the wounds of others, or at least they're out there, it allows it's like an approachability, I would say. So the wounds let someone be humanly approachable. And I think in the way that just like the incarnation in general makes God approachable. He comes in human flesh, um, and so we, we recognize him, his face, in this, this way. Uh, I think the wounds, in a sense, are an extension of that, that we, we can approach him with our, with our woundedness, and we feel like there's a, a, a simpatico kind of nature there. And I think it's true for, for people. It goes overboard, of course, and then it becomes less helpful. But there's a sense of admitting weak, weakness or woundedness that I think allows one to come alongside someone who otherwise would be suspicious or say, I don't know if you really get it. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever had this. It's like when you try to comfort someone who's experienced tremendous tragedy and sorrow, almost the, usually the best person to do this is someone who's also been through that same thing. Not just because I think they know, but because it gives them a sort of credibility and a, an approachability uh, to each other to actually heal. Yeah, I think about, okay, so sometimes we talk about human life as a pilgrimage, or we talk about human life as a kind of journey, obviously the destination being heaven, maybe that's not obvious to everyone, but the destination being heaven, and then everything that we do this side of eternity as either contributing to or somehow detracting from that pilgrimage. Um, And I think that what we've kind of come to discover in our ordinary human experience of taking trips of every, of whatever sort is that it's oftentimes, you know, it's like setbacks or detours or accidents or things unforeseen, which often provide us with some of the richest stories or provide us with some of the most memorable, memorable, memorable experiences, right? They give a kind of texture. They give a kind of variety. They give a kind of zest to our lives, which might otherwise be boring were they to unfold according to our plans. And I think that, that one of the reasons for which is because those often are occasions of greatest growth. Like, they're, they're occasions of great solidarity and friendship. I think about one time when you, Father Dominic, and I were coming back from a hilarious pilgrimage mm. in New England that had us in the mm. car for like a billion hours and doing next to nothing at our destination. And I remember stopping mm-hmm. at a food court and getting bourbon chicken mm. because what else are you going to get in a food court in a mall? And I just remember Chinese thinking food. and us having a kind of sense that, you know, it's really... It's really good that we're here, and it's really good to be a Dominican, and it's good to be a Dominican, you know, together. And that was only possible because we had been deceived by one of our brothers and sent on mm. a wild goose chase with people whom we would have never otherwise spent that day. Um, and I think that there's something about having, as the end of your pilgrimage, somebody who has passed through it, who, who also represents the way of, of like, navigating it well. 
you know, we talk about Christ as accompanying us. We talk about Christ as bridge builder, media. We have all this language to account for the fact that he is the way by which. I mean, he himself says it in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. And the fathers of the church say he's the way in his humanity. He's the truth and the life in his divinity. So there's a sense in which his wounds somehow give us an access to that pilgrimage, to that tendency, to that accompaniment that would somehow otherwise not be present. And I feel like, and I don't know how to express it well, but like our wounds are the, are the privileged place or the kind of locus in which that communication happens most. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I yeah. think that's well, true. I, I don't know. What do you think? No, I think it's, it, it's, it's realistic in the sense that if we talk about this kind of motion back and forth is um, on this, the journey has ups and downs, you could say, or what have you, that if, if, unless we go through the woundedness, we're not really embracing the, the human condition. Like the human condition just, it, it is, this is one of those things that, you know, maybe at some point theologically people will stop talking about this and the church will have stopped existing, I suppose, if you did that. But like original sin is real. So an, an actual sin, so even if you have pe- perfect people here, you're still going to have original sin to deal Like we, we come into the world fallen, wounded in a condition such that it's not necessarily going to be good. Uh, that you have to work at it, that you have to, that grace is necessary because we are meant for grace. And in that way, unless one embraces the kind of wounds and accepts them, uh, maybe not necessarily proclaims them, but to to oneself realizes and the need for some help and assistance, uh, someone who is wounded but can provide access through wounds to that, then you're not going to go anywhere. Like, you can lie about being perfect, and that's not going to help anything, or you can wallow in, like, woundedness, and that's not going to go anywhere either. So these two kind of first options, you could say, need to go, but you have to go through the woundedness. Like, you're never going to get to healing unless you kind of appreciate that. And I think Christ on the cross, we have we have the corpus on our crucifixes, I think for, for good reason, for number, numerous reasons, but one of them is just to remind that, yes, it happened. Like, death was involved here and was necessary because of who, what you did. Because of your own sins, these wounds were, ne- were, were necessary, or at least deemed necessary, um, and they're there for you. So it's, it has to be, you're right, it, the wounds can't be ignored, but they have to be gone through. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, if you think about, like, the Thomas pushing through, you push through them um, with him, uh, but they have, they have to be a part of that journey. That's right. And I think that, I mean... At the end of the day, they provide us a space in which to recognize the Lord. You know, thinking again of Thomas, it was by his wounds that he was recognizable or made known to this mm-hmm. most doubting of disciples. Um, but also it, it, it affords us access to the Lord's glory in a kind of paradoxical way. You think about the fact that the martyrs are often pictured with the engines of their torture. The things which dealt them the wounds were in fact the things which brought them greatest glory. And so too, you know, of the cross. When the Lord speaks in John 3, like, when I am lifted up, then you will know, right? So he's not just lifted up in the sense of lifted up on the cross to die. He's lifted up in the sense of he's glorified by virtue of, like, the way in which he has permitted Mm. himself to suffer to die and then ultimately to rise. So I think that it's through, like you said, pushing through our wounds that we come to discover a glory that lies on the other side. And were we to carve a life out that sought to avoid them or to cover them up, we would, in a certain sense, end up depriving of ourselves of... A, a greater glory that lies in store. Um, yeah, yeah, so I, I know you got to go, but last thought. Yeah, I think we're the important part is we're we're more than our woundedness, but we're not less. Um, so that 
uh, the, my, the concern about the current trend of vulnerability and perhaps the overemphasis on wounds for your own life might become dangerous because you think that you're just your wounds and you're just your woundedness, um, whereas you are clearly more than that, but it is correct that you're not less, that you can't ignore them. Um, so that the, the two can, so that again, in this vision of Christ, he has the wounds on him, but he, he, these are wounds on a glorified body that are walking through walls and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So it's, it's woundedness, but that's only a part. And that was a part on the journey that's moving towards the, the resurrection and up contained in that. So it's, you're more than your wounds, but you're, you're certainly not less. Uh, and keeping those living, keeping those together in tension, I think is part of the Christian life. Boom. So that's the life that we seek to live, and uh, that's the life that we hope to continue to be encouraged in by, by prayer, by sacrament, and hopefully by the occasional good podcast. So uh, please do like, share, and subscribe, and so far as it gets the words out, uh, word, words, both end, it gets the word out. Um, and then if you are you know, watching on YouTube so as, able, so as to be able to see Father Bonaventure's finger puppet of Friedrich Nietzsche, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get updates on uh, on future videos, both live streams and then um, scheduled posts. So thanks very much to Patreon donors who have made possible certain upgrades, one of which is the fact that we can now see Father Bonaventure from a more humane angle and in greater living technicolor. So we're very grateful for that. Our prayers for you. Please continue to pray for us. And we will catch you. Oh, gosh. I almost had it. You know when you got like your last three sentences and you got, you're just cooking and you haven't stumbled over any words? But then I did it, but because... That's okay, because it's a wound. It's a speech wound. Uh, so yeah, we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of Saint Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app, and visit us at GodsPlaning.org.